0: Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Travis Miller of the Grumpy Wizard blog joins me and we discuss all sorts of groovy things. He wrote an excellent article for the Gary's Appendix Kickstarter that is live during the month of August. In the show notes is a link to my Patreon. This week, Patreon members Stefan, Russ, James, and John rowing to a mysterious island with a single ominous mountain that pierces the clouds. The venturing party is exhausted, and they look forward to making camp on solid ground. The large bubbles surfacing from the deep has James a bit nervous, but John tells him to keep on rowing and, quote, If we get it, we get it. Worrying won't change a thing. Unquote. As they near the white sand beach, the mysterious Daiku is spotted, and Russ and Stefan ch- exchange worried glances, wondering where the others are. Will there be more Patreon members to join the party next week? Stay tuned, dear listeners. Dense Fog is rolling in, sisters and brothers. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Travis. Hi, Jeff. Hey, thanks for joining me tonight.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me on.
0: (laughs) We're we're doing a thing. Uh, We're doing Gary's Appendix. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. uh, It looks like it's going pretty well on the Kickstarter. Yes, it, it is. It's uh yes, it is. Um it's it's a strange have, have you ever kickstarted anything? I have not.
1: I just uh I'm a outside observer.
0: Yeah, no, it, it is doing good. It's definitely um it is, I think, doing about what I was I think it's hitting where I was optimistically and realistically looking at it going. So I'm I'm very, very happy uh, with that whole thing. But, um, but it's definitely, uh, <laughs> but what I really do appreciate cause you know, I was going to do one thing and then all of a sudden I woke up one day and decided to do another, like three weeks before the Kickstarter. <laughs> I said, you know what? Well, I got a bestiary. Why don't, why don't I just get some articles and get a zine? Maybe if I just, if I just broadcast to the internets, maybe somebody will answer my call. <laughs> if I sent out an SOS and uh, you're one of the few that, that answered the call of help.
1: Well, I'm glad that you uh, accepted it. So it, it turned out well for me.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is, I've, you know, I've kind of tried things before. One time I, I put out a call uh, uh, to a number of people. I got some people that responded, uh, but that kind of fizzled and I ended up doing, in, which is fine. So, But I ended up doing the project. And it's that's what's the uh, fly God. another time I did another project i, I put a, a call out and had a lot of people responded um but just a very very few actually uh you know came through like very few and um it was an artist two artists and a, and a, and a writer so but this time I put out a call and and it's like my <laughs> I had a handful of people uh respond, but also a handful of people actually. Re- provide content too. So that was uh that was pretty surprising.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it it seems from what I can tell that every project ends up being different one way or another. And and it doesn't seem it seems like, well they they rhyme there's there's similarity there's a pattern but but it seems like there's always something that goes differently than any other project goes.
0: Yeah and I think yeah and I think if you're i think that's true yeah and i think especially for i think especially for probably people like us you know who are doing odds and ends and figuring out as we go probably when you get to larger scale you know publications where they they're doing similar things it probably is less so
1: but i agree with that yeah the the i know like wizards of the coast does like projects two years out or a year out year to two years out just and part of that's just because the volume that they're producing when you're when you're buying shipping on five containers worth the books you know you just have to plan all of that well in advance so that you can just yes. at least hit your and you've got marketing and sales people and finance people that when you're talking about millions of dollars for vendors and planning around you you've got to be it takes 2 years to put a book like that together yeah because you 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 plan backwards you
0: you plan when you want it to be delivered <laughs> you take your whole supply chain and work it backwards exactly and, and plan for all the ladies and you're right and you got key moments like especially you know especially if you're dependent upon let's say a book being in hand for Gen Con, you know, yep. that things like that, where it's, you know, that makes it even more difficult because there's not much leeway where, you know, somebody like me, it's like, well, I can start, I can start from the beginning. I know right now, I've, I, I don't know. I mean, I have hopefully an idea, but it, it, it doesn't matter to me whether it ships in November, October or December, you know, it's not going to change it. But, but if I were selling at retail, definitely. wouldn't <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And because if you're looking at a Christmas or or a certain other time of year that where you want to have the book in a retailer's hands um to maximize your your sales, that's that's gonna be definitely a, a a thing that you have to take into account. What surprised me uh
0: was Phil Reed for um Steve Jackson Games. It's like he said they like art, they do it within like it was like three weeks or so. It's just like I don't know how they do it. It's, it's kind of crazy. I would have figured this stuff would be, you know, done ahead of time, but you know, they're, they're running on a pretty tight schedule, but Mm -hmm. I guess you get the right artists and you get enough artists uh, that you can make that happen. (laughs) It's like, like, that's, that's an act of faith. I don't have,
1: (laughs) (laughs) especially when you're tying up big, big chunks of money, your printer says, well, I need, I got, this two weeks on my on my presses that are going to be available. I need oh, to have yeah. that. I need to have that book by this time so that I can fill that gap in my production. And if you don't have it,
0: oh well. <laughs> yeah, and it does feel, and I probably mentioned it before, it does it does feel to me that a lot of the the later my later like the fifth edition. I haven't looked at a lot of their modules but a lot of them almost kind of feel like like they maybe could have been through some more editing or some simplification but it's but they're on a huge hugely tight schedule too so it's no different for them than it is for a lot of other people I suppose
1: Yeah I, I kind of wonder about their projects a little because some of those things you look at them and you go wow this could have been so much better and here you have oh, yes. you you have this part of this huge company with a huge budget you can basically get the best available writers to write for you the best editors and then you look at like Justin Alexander's rewrites of those modules and he's like oh this is terrible I don't know how you would even run this as it is written you would have to rework it and he'll go he's done these massive like 20 uh, issue 20 different articles on one of those big adventure paths like basically rewriting them like well if you actually want to run this and make it fun then this is how you do it this is how you do it and I thought, man, you would think they have, pulp, they'd have editors who could go over these things and find these really glaringly obviously bad setups and go, yeah, let's tweak that a little. Because like the beginning of the um, one of the dragon something or another, there's a uh, a scene where. First level characters are rolling up on a village that's being attacked by like a bunch of dragons, and the expectation of the module is that the adventurers, the first level adventurers, are going to charge in there to save the villagers. <laughs> and you know, and like anybody who's played an old school game that's a, or a sandbox game is going to look at that and go, "Well, let's find someplace else to go." <laughs> I mean, but I mean, that, but if you're running a sort of like you know, railroady kind of uh, what I call them interactive narratives. They're like the the, the choose-your-own-adventure books is basically what they are, except you have a character sheet um, where the assumption is, well, you're going to do one of these three things because that's the only thing that we've written into this book and the only choices that will work for our path that they're leading you through here. Um, and it just seems like, wow, you could be this is the best you can do with the budget that you have. It's well, really I think that was one of the first. That was
0: was that the very first one? It might have been Dragon it, Heist, maybe well, or Dragon something. Heist was the latest one. Horde of the Dragon Queen might have been that one. So that one, I believe, uh, that was written by um, Steve Winter and um, the guy from Cobalt Press.
1: Yeah, and then you go, geez, these are guys that have been doing this for
0: thirty-five years, and but but they, yeah, but they, they apparently. They never really spoke out, but I think what happened was there was no book. The the, the the actual DM's guide and Monster Manual was continually being revised as they're writing the adventure. Oh wow! I th- yeah, I think there was a lot of things going on. I think scope changed. I think there's a lot of things that went wrong. Yeah, because you'd be like, "This is makes no sense." These are veterans. <laughs> it's like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a little disappointing. Some of the some of the stuff they put out. Where you go? Who edited this? Why did they do that? And then I've heard designers look at those or turn in adventures and then get the book and go, "This is not what I turned in." Uh, Oh, seriously? Really? Yeah, there was some of that with the the Castle Candle Keep Mysteries. Yeah, there were the significant changes from what the the which you know they're doing work for hire. Which you know when you do work for hire, you turn it in and it's not yours anymore um so whatever they do with it they do with it um and that's just kind of the way that deal works so it's it's not entirely unsurprising that they would rework some stuff that they didn't that didn't fit or whatever the reasons were but it sounded like the adventure that was turned in was way better than adventure that got printed which is bizarre to me but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the,
0: you know, I was interviewing a couple guys uh, last night and their adventure is um, um, too deep and uh, too deep. And it's about, it's really, it's, it's a story about, uh, it's a Morkborg, but it's about worker explo- exploitation. Okay. Well, I'm like, and they don't go over the top with it, but that's definitely the whole thing is like, you know, a lich reanimating people and they and they come apart. And I mean, it's just, which is kind of cool, but it's like you can have probably some some interesting themes um that you as an individual will, will do, but then TSR is gonna look at it and they're like, no way. <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: <laughs> no way, no way.
1: <laughs> well, and it's because partly because Wizards of the Coast has to adhere to the Hasbro um guidelines about products. And I dug, I don't know, maybe two years ago, they have they put out this thing, this corporate communication on their website every couple of year years, every year. And it goes through and talks about every line of the business. And it has like this sort of general guideline of this is what our what, this is our mission. This is what we're trying to do. These are our sort of uh intentions with all of our products across all of our IP. And basically what they say is that they're they're as a big over arching company they want to uh sell things that are more or less family friendly to um your typical middle class family and that's going to be appealing to the widest possible audience which means they're selling oatmeal
0: yeah it's um, dis-
1: it's disney yeah it's disney yeah. marvel movies <laughs> yeah movie. exactly and and you're not going to get anything out of that that's going to be challenging sort of rides the edge of the sort of moral questions it's not going to be anything that's going to be particularly it's going to make too many people uncomfortable in one way or another if they can at all help that um it's just going to be very you know beige the nice lawn and the, the the simple shrubs out front and you know nothing very unexpected nothing unexpected is going to happen in, in D land
0: right yeah and i mean and to be fair it's kind of like you know it's you know they they it, it's very serious money any, any dips or turns for them it's it's yeah. you know, for us it's like you can make a decision like who cares if i have 30% less people buying my project product, but it's, it's like,
1: that's a, you know, millions of dollars, yeah. millions, tens of millions. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think at least the, the nice thing, well, nice uh, is the, I guess they do have the, the DMs guild where people can do things within that sandbox within that property without, you know, I explore those a lot of those spaces. I'm not sure if there's, Assume there's some limitations. Well, obviously there are some there, limitations. There are. Though.
1: I think there. I I don't know exactly, but I, I I do know there's been a few brief little gripes when somebody had something um either pulled down or not put up in the first place. Yeah. But It was. I mean, it, but they seem to be, for the most part, pretty open to letting you do mostly what you want. Um things that things that they aren't going to do and can't do within their um, within the scope of what Hasbro wants them to do and how they want to manage the brand. Or at least from what I can tell. Yeah, I think you I
0: think you're you're right. I think the only times I've heard, of course my ear is not to the ground for that, uh, but it does seem to be people who kind of push, you know, Towards it towards an edge, maybe they're not intentionally trying to be provocative, but they are going to an edge that's maybe a little close. So maybe, and maybe they're justified by saying, "Well, why is mine near the edge and it gets knocked, but somebody else is near the edge and it doesn't get knocked?" But it's, but you know, it's just it's. I'm sure they're just a handful of people trying to. You know, it's like a parent. (laughs) How 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 consistent are we as parents? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you got a good day you let it go you got a bad day you don't let it go
1: it's just yeah,
0: it's I'm just tired
1: yeah. <laughs> do whatever you want yes
0: do whatever you want so yeah and that's been that's kind of interesting it's been interesting to see the whole the whole uh change in the industry and how, how things have been progressing so you've got a blog grumpywizard.home.blog. correct so what is Grumpy Wizard?
2: Uh,
1: well, it is a thing that's, I think, slowly developed. It's basically been an experiment for me to sort of figure out a way to uh,
2: express ideas that I have um, that I try to look at subjects that we often uh, all talk about
1: or think about or have problems with. And I try to talk about them in the sort of the gaps where nobody else is looking at a particular issue uh, or express a perspective that nobody else is uh, 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 putting out like uh, a weird one. A weird example is I have an opinion about uh, when you should make a map for a campaign or an adventure location, I think you should make it last or nearly last where almost everybody else will tell you that you should make your campaign map first. Um, if you look at, you know, almost any of the dungeon master's guides, uh, a lot of blog posts, they're like, make a map. And and I'm like, Nope, do that last. So why last? Uh, Because what are the things that the players mostly interact with in a game? There's certain points they
0: interact with, but not usually the entire map.
1: Right. So they don't usually, you don't usually throw a map down and everybody goes, well, let's find out what's there. Right. Maybe they will, if it has like an interesting name or you've drawn some sort of weird symbol on the map and they're like, what's that? Where it's something that sort of sticks out, they might. Look at it. We go. What's the dragon's tooth, or something yeah. like that? um But usually, most of the time, games start in some sort of civilized center. What, civilization could be a little village, it could be a city, it could be something else. But there's a point where the players are interacting with an NPC or a, a benevolent creature, like a you know some sort of a centaur or a unicorn or something like that, um, where they're finding out what's. They're basically interacting with NPCs a lot or monsters a lot of the time in in a game. I mean, there is the exploration piece of the game, but a lot of times they're interacting with an NPC or a monster. So, I tend to like games that have uh, factions in them. So I start with a very large sort of thirty thousand foot view of my setting and i go what are the major powers on this setting well these gods these demons ancient dragons this lich that's been hanging around 300 years and i'm a, i might just write that as just a sentence on, a, on an index card like nothing more fancy than that and then i'll break those down the individual big factions to individual major Players in those factions, and again, just like a sentence, and it might—I might not give a name to it. I might just say, "There's these this group of gods, and there is this god that's the god of fire, and the god of lightning, and the god of this, that, or whatever it is." And then I break it down to the point where the players would be interacting with a faction, right? So if the players, if I decide I want the players to be dealing with the lizard people who are, uh, who worship dragons and the dragon that they specifically worship is this dragon. And I know that that dragon is a black dragon. Well, then I have to have a swamp. Right. Because it's a black dragon. Well, then I draw on my map, swamp. And then, well, how are they gonna find out about that dragon and that swamp and the lizard people that are fighting for that dragon? Well, there's gonna be a town. So how close is that town? Well, it's here. And then from there I can go, well, that dragon has enemies with the good dragons. Well, what do those? Well, the, the gold dragon and it lives in a mountain. Well, where's that mountain at? Over here. And so I instead of placing Places and putting populating them. I decide what populations I want to have, and then draw a map based on where I would think those things would be. Because if you have a city, you need water, you need trade routes, you need food. They need to be somewhat safe. So they can't be over here next to the swamp. You need to move it down here. And then, okay, I'm going to draw a river. Well, who else lives on the river? And you can sort of go back and forth between. The factions that you have, well, I don't have a place for this faction to live. Where are they at? And you start scribbling in. And then once you get a rough idea of where you want to place all your creatures and your NPCs and the different factions and the stuff that they need to justify their existence, then you can really then you can really draw a map out that makes sense based on the interactions that you want to have that you want the players to have. With the monsters and npcs in your setting
0: right so the the map serves the adventure not the adventure serving the map right correct yeah i think it's i think i think there's definitely uh i think there's i can see both directions having valid points i think right you could you could draw inspiration from a map uh but also flip it you're also maybe creating unnecessary constraints you're like well I guess I got to put this here even though I don't want to because this doesn't make sense because I can't, you know, so that, that does make sense. I I think a lot of us probably tend to like grab a, a map of some sort, whether it's a a Dyson logos or whatever, (laughs) it it just kind of worked from there. But I think what you're saying absolutely makes a lot of sense as far as just what do you really want and then make the map serve that. And I think the other thing too is really depending on what you're, you're planning on doing your map doesn't need to be detailed
1: no it doesn't no i i that's also another one of my blog posts where i shared i did a an experiment where i had very little time on my hands but i wanted to run a game so i decided how could i run a game without um spending a lot of time on it and basically what i did is i grabbed the armload of One page dungeons some other pre-published stuff um and like scribbled a really basic map on a sheet of copy paper and that was the the map for like three months i mean it was like back of the napkin level drawing it was not and it took me i'm sure 20 minutes to put it together because i just wanted to see well how how much laziness can I get away with um, on this one? And it, it was—it really, wasn't so much laziness as right. it was. Okay, I've got a kid, I've got job, right? I got, you know, got, you got a limited amount on. of time, right? So it was—it was really about how much, how can, how well can I maximize this? Uh, and it worked for you know, good six nine months before uh, other players had to sort of split off because they had other life situations going on. But it worked um what now it would was it like the, the the very specific time keeping and all that other stuff going on was the play deep and rich no but as far as a as a as a way to get a game in that's still fun and enjoyable when the option other option was don't play um i'll take that one I, I think even just going back to map and i i need
0: to look these people up but there's a there's a fellow who's got a current kickstarter for adventure um i can't look it up but he one of the things that he showed in his update um it, it's an old school essentials adventure and what he did is he has
2: a um he took um instead of showing like um uh, like the
0: traditionally drawn maps it was like torn torn paper laid down okay and then another one he did was a similar thing where it was just like trimmed out pictures and odds like clip art of odd stuff and those were rooms and i and i thought i don't know if i really like that but it's very interesting to just play with the whole way of thinking about things right. not is it, is it be, a
1: sort of a collage kind of. Yes. Approach?
0: Yes. It was very much like a collage. Um, and, uh, and I thought, you know, that was very, not that he's going to do that, but he, he showed some very examples. So I think, you know, we, we tend to just want to, you know, jump into a, a you know, drawing, you know, squares or whatever, but you could just take a scissors and paper and just cut out with some construction paper and just, try some fun stuff with shapes and, and not, and that's, or whatever it may be, you know, I don't know what other things there are, but it just kind of made me think that it's like, you know, there's ways of thinking about, you know, whatever it is you're doing beyond just a, the simple, you know, traditional way of doing maps or of whether it's dungeons or even same
1: thing with even, uh, you know, terrain. Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different processes that you can try um, you know and i wrote a post not, not too long ago where i was talking it was more about writing in general but really just uh, it, it had broad uh, had a broad um application uh but the 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 point of it was that you could there's a lot of different processes and methods and techniques that you can use um and just because someone else has successfully used that technique, it's not necessarily going to work well for you because your life experience is different from theirs. Your skills are different from theirs. Right. Your, your your just perspective on the world is going to be different from theirs. So you shouldn't get, people get sometimes, I find some DMs because I follow a little bit of these, some of the 5E and some of the broader RPG, like Reddit's and stuff, a little bit. And I see people get really wound tight around following this process that they read in some book, or a technique that they found that they read in a book or a blog post. And they're like, "Well, this person says this, or this, this, this is the way all these different groups of people say to do this." And they're sort of like regurgitating each other's content rather than, um. Trying something a little different, so I, I think people really need to game masters in general need to be try to be more open to trying different things rather than um, always going because Gary said so, or or, <laughs> yes. or or because you know that's the way Jeff or uh, you know Colville does it or whoever um, you know the Mercer effect doesn't isn't just Matt Mercer it's all everybody that's out there talking about games. We all have our little effect on these th- these conversations and, and uh, people that are new sometimes sort of latch on to something that we say and go, well, that's how you do it. And uh, that's one way to do it. Well,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it also comes down to, it makes me think what I was, I can't, what I was working on and I was talking to Tim Shorts and he was like, yeah, you know, I was I was lamenting just how much Struggle was for me to write and rewrite and edit it and rewrite. And he's like, You know how much it, how inefficient this is. And he's like, Well, Jeff, that's writing. <laughs>
2: it's, like,
0: it's like, Yeah, it's there, there's no like there's no like simple thing. It's, it's you know, there are probably a few people that that can do it much quicker and easier, but I think we all think, Oh, it's just a magical thing we do, and all of a sudden words will just fly out and they'll be perfect. It's just like, No.
1: No, no. Yeah. You know, I read a lot about um, I read and study a lot about storytelling and writing fiction and uh, screenplays and stuff like that. And you talk to some of these professional screenwriters and they might go through 20 drafts of a screenplay before they sell it, you know right and then and then then the screenplay goes to a director and they're like yeah i don't like this scene let's rewrite that you know it's so you know the, the this stuff you know and part of the problem i think in rpg business has been that it's you know because the margins are so low i think sometimes quality doesn't always get um the the sort of attention that it does You know, because if you're trying to feed your family, especially I've heard stories about you know back in the old days when they're like, "Oh, we need you to generate 10,000 words a week or whatever insane number it was um, to get this adventure off because we've sold the, uh, we've already sold it to the to the distributors, and this is when it needs to get done. So, and if you're getting paid by the word. And you're not getting paid by the value that they think that that right. thing is going to generate. they are like, all right, I got it five cents a work, <laughs> and off you go. And and if their editor looks at it and goes, well, my boss is breathing down my neck about getting this thing done, and he doesn't really care what it looks like, as long as it gets out there, off it goes. So I think some of the some of the modules and some of the, the big publishing stuff sometimes doesn't maybe get quite the quality doesn't get the rewriting and the thought that something like a screenplay gets where, you know, you send in a screenplay and if the director likes it, they'll give you $100,000 plus points on the back end, you know, and you're like, well, I can afford to spend a year <laughs> writing this, you know, I can yeah. sp- I can afford to spend, you know, a year rewriting this 10 times and revising this one line of dialogue for two days um, because in the back end of it, I'm going to come up with a hundred thousand bucks. But if you're writing a 20,000 paid 20,000 word, you know, adventure supplement and you're going to get paid, you know, uh, maybe a thousand dollars for it. If you're lucky, $2,000 for it and it's work for hire. So you're not getting writes to it it's you send it out and off and it's gone forever you you don't get anything from it on the back end um there's no big incentive for i think adventure writers to uh rewrite stuff the way other kinds of writing have that incentive so i think we get some i think some of the writing in rpg business
2: is kind of crappy for that reason yeah and i think yes and i think yeah i agree and there's stuff that's
0: just it just you're right it just it just rambles and you just it's you get lost you read it you're getting well, at least i do i don't know if it's because i'm getting older and my <laughs> what i reads different and i read less but i just if i start getting lost it's like what is this, what's going on here but but you're right I, I don't know i i think some people i think yeah, I think old school essentials maybe will I don't know that going back to old school essentials. I don't know that their terse method is best, but it definitely challenges the idea that you have to fill up, you know, 64 pages full of text. Right. And I think not saying that it's wrong just to fill up 64 pages with walls of text,
1: but that's it's been pretty much what it's been up till now. It has, and, and and you know, and a lot of that has to do with the way the writers were compensated back, you know, in the '90s. Because I, you know, one of my favorite games from the '90s is uh, Earth Dawn, uh, which is this sort of fantasy horror um, game that actually does some interesting things that 4e D and D was trying
2: to do, but better. Um, and a lot of those books is just filler. I mean, it's interesting
1: filler, but a lot of it's like, well, this was fun to read, but I'm not gonna use three quarters of it in my game. Like, okay, oh, here's this new spell. All right, I'll use that. Uh I'm at, oh, that magic item's cool. Uh the other 72 pages of this is worthless.
0: Well, and even like World um, of Darkness, they you know, not and, and people may enjoy fiction in their text, but I think there's also a certain amount of just, you know, fiction.
1: It's like, it's right. like what are you doing? Yeah. yeah well even the the, like the dark sun which was my favorite tsr made setting even an awful lot of that has a has a fair amount of padding in it of of things that are just that are cool and some of it's gameable and usable and interesting but there's an awful lot of it too where you just have to sort of like i gotta I you have to really work to pull that stuff out of there and it's and it's. And that's the thing for me that's really annoying about it is, you know, I'm going to be dead soon. Um, well, not All too right. soon, but I, you know, I'm I'm in my late forties, and I have more books than I'm going to read. I have more video games than I'm ever going to play. I have more movies than I can ever watch, and I have more game material than I can ever play through, and. I just want to make as much effective use of that time as possible. And if I have to pick up a piece, I have to pick up a product with a highlighter and a notebook in order in order to okay, that's the important piece of information in this encounter that I need to convey to my players so that they understand what is going on and they can tell me what they want to do about it. And I have to write a bunch of notes out. That's just time. I'm not doing other things that I want to be doing, and it just doesn't seem like an efficient way to convey the information to me
0: yeah, and i you know and i don't know i I don't know why it is it's it's i think there's definitely a a way of editing that has not been widely used i mean i i don't and I don't know why i mean. I think some of it is obviously, you know, it's like, you can have that information. Like you talked about all this information, like some of it's nice, but you can still have all that information, but if it was just organized differently, right. You'd be like, this is fine.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You can put it in the back You go, okay, this is the stuff that I need to run the encounters. And uh, Oh, here's all this sort of background stuff. Yeah if you just put a little thing in, it. it's like, you don't need to read this, but if you want to understand more of what's going on in the setting, and, and it'll give you more context so that you can actually pull some of this into your game and, and use it and, and make the game richer. But if you just want to get in and run the adventure, here it is. Uh, kind of like, like Tom
0: Bombadil in the in Lord of the Rings. Like just yeah. put him in an appendix. We've been fine. <laughs> right.
1: I mean, he 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 does do some, Uh, he does do some interesting stuff but yeah there's there's it's 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 questionable whether it had to be in there or not yeah
0: it's distracting from the story it's like it's you know yeah it's uh it but i also was i can't remember who it was they said they i can't remember who the publisher was but i think they were saying that basically writers get paid by the word uh they had a lot of world building they were wanting to do and they let uh, they let the authors just kind of go hog wild (laughs) and and then they got to a point where over time like they started having like contradictions and weird stuff and right and they're at the point where like okay stop it's (laughs) yeah now we've got to clean everything up we got going forward we we, you know uh, we have to do it but i think there's part of that too it's like there may not be a plant maybe for that whole thing with, with the um, dark sun. Maybe it's like, we know some main things, but, eh, you know, we're paying them five cents a word or six cents a word, whatever they're paying back then. And we'll just, right. we'll let it come out and see what, what comes out.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it's um, well, and part of it is too is we got to remember that RPGs are actually kind of a new format. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. you think about things like film, Film has been around for 100 years, give or take. And in the first 30, 40 years of film, they were still trying to make plays on film, right? There was they were basically, yeah. there, there was a whole lot of stuff that got brought from the stage onto film. And those are different mediums. They have different, they're similar and they have, overlapping things pieces to them they're all stories but they have but they're different and they have different requirements um things that film has that stage doesn't have things that stage has that film doesn't have well i think role-playing games kind of have that same problem in that there's no sort of unified set of terminology that we all use to define certain things is it a module is it an adventure is it a scenario right um it what's the is there a correct format that everybody agrees is how you write this thing and present it to you know there's no agent that you can send in your adventure module to and they look at it and go now kid this is crap i can't give this i can't send this to wizards of the coast try again um or you know, there's no, you know, like if you send a, a screenplay or a, uh, ma- a manuscript to a, uh, a publisher for a for a novel, there's a specific formatting that they want that to look like. And they have names for everything. And it's very, they want to take as much of the uh, surprise out of creating those things as they possibly can. With RPG business, it's, publisher to publisher writer to writer people use different terminology we can't even we can't even agree on whether or not games are collaborative storytelling or there's something else um you know and we've been having the same arguments about these things for 40 years because if you go back and look at like alarms and excursions number one they're talking about spell points right yeah and if you go on reddit i can about guarantee you that somebody has said has anybody ever thought about spell points (laughs) sometime in the last 24 hours you know um so rpgs are this relatively new thing and we don't have a good agreed upon set of terminology or or but even like anything but even like
0: a book i mean on one hand it it is like a manual or textbook or like a, a technical manual. Yes. Right. So it's it's not any different than a Chilton's or any of these other kinds of books, but yet on the other hand, it can't read like that or nobody's. It's it's got to be interesting. So it's right. also fiction. Right.
1: Yeah. And so it is really its own thing. Yeah, it definitely is its own thing, and and especially when you and you figure. A weird thing about RPG products, game products, especially adventures,
2: is the writer is writing that for the game master.
1: But the game master has to present that to the players. Right. So the writer has to think to themselves, how do I present this in a way that the game master will one get excited about wanting to read, write run this, and two, be able to run this to so you you're like kind of trying to play like the game of telephone a little bit where I'm telling you what the adventure is, and then you're telling the players what the adventure is, and hopefully what I say is what the advent is what the players
0: are experiencing. Right, but it- but the thing is is, because it is a game, there's variables that are also included, yeah, that you have to account for, because you can't expect people just to like choose your own adventure. It's not that either.
1: right. so th- that makes it even harder.: <laughs> Yes, exactly.: <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh it's so this is the kind of crap that I talk about on my blog all the time, and it's a little bit uh I have been narrowing the the focus a little bit more lately. Um, and it's, it's seems to be working a little better. So, so when did you start the, when did you start blogging? Uh, I blogged a little bit in like 2012 and then that sort of didn't go anywhere. And I killed that, uh, pretty quickly. Were you a Uh, grumpy, were you a grumpy wizard then? No, it was something called weird brew. Um, it was, I, nobody read it. So. <laughs> You're getting
0: other people looking for stuff, right?
1: <laughs> but, here. Uh, yeah, it's 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 totally gone now. Um, no, Grumpy Wizard started in 2019, and there's not quite 400 posts on there. So um, you started really when you know
0: it, you know a lot of the blogging has is was was actually ending. I
1: did. Yes, that's generally my pattern. I'd like, oh, everybody, <laughs> everybody stopped doing this one thing and they're doing this other thing. So I'm gonna do the thing that everybody's gonna stop doing now. That's it seems to be my pattern. So they're like, yeah, every- oh, we like I love Labyrinth Yeah, we're playing OSE now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the, the way the way it goes for me. But
0: I think it, it also there's but there's also because there's fewer people, I think it's it's easier for people to find you and be able to, um, you know, I wonder if that works in your favor, too.
1: Well, you know, I have seen, uh, basically, I've doubled the number of visitors and views every year for, in the full years that I've been doing it. So, like, just, like, two weeks ago,
2: I matched the number of views and visitors that I had last year. So. Okay. It's so there's a growth,
1: more people are finding it, more people are reading it, and they're coming back more often. So until that stops, I'm going to kind of keep generally going in the direction I'm going. i th- I really believe
0: that if 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 your products at least reaches a, a minimum level of, of quality and you're consistent. It 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 does it, it does work out because because when I started the podcast it had pretty decent numbers nothing great it's never been anything high but it, it was actually doing pretty good then it went down and down it stayed down and stayed down for like a year and I'm like this is not fun <laughs> it's like yeah. what did I do wrong and then then around Christmas time this year it's uh or last year it, it started going up it's just like whatever reason you know it's been going up but um but i think it's just because it's consistent it just takes a while for people to to find you really
1: yeah yeah I and i publish every thursday at 10 a.m eastern standard time um pretty close pretty much every week uh, usually i'm like i might be a little bit late in the day getting one out but i'm pretty consistent about having them out that week and then i do a a a monthly email newsletter every third saturday of the month so so the newsletter is different than the blog yes and i've only been doing that a year and a half now so that's usually uh i try to do every couple months a longer so that's like a long form essay usually um, that's anywhere I've done essays between two and ten thousand words on that um,
0: depending <laughs> on the subject yeah you get, you get like seven or eight of those and you have an adult fiction novel
1: <laughs> yeah that and, and, and actually one of the things I plan I, so last year I did um, four posts about how to build a campaign for high level, old school renaissance games because almost nobody talks about that um or because most most of us don't run games that are over 10th 12th level uh, either for a variety of reasons uh, for that but um so i kept finding like nobody knows how to do this well i learned some stuff by actually doing it for two years so i'll write that down and put it in there um, and I I'm, I'm going to what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to there's four essays and I'm going to combine the four of those together into one like ebook and well, um, why not just make it into a book book uh I might do that it could be a POD or or, or an ebook um the oh, re- Kickstarter That's a possibility I don't I guess I'm not I'm not super convinced that um too many people would want a 50,000 word blowout about how to run a high level um swords and wizardry game. Maybe they do. I don't know. I, I don't know. All I know
0: is I wrote a <laughs> I wrote I don't know how many words mine was Is Drezine said about doing uh doing a bunch of setting up a, a criminal activities for a sci-fi game and nobody knew who I was and people funded that. It was Oh, I was cool. shocked. Yeah, it's like, yeah, <laughs> like, it's like nobody knows. You, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't make great numbers, but my point is, is like, you don't know until you try it. It's true. So. It's true.
1: Yeah, if I did some rewriting and packed re- formatted it together, because it's a little bit of a mess, but it's, uh, but it's pretty, it's fairly robust because it, it is difficult to run a high level, uh, old school game. I, I think it has to be
0: because, because I never have really ran much as far as uh, high level. But I remember in in the the heyday of my youth, I think we 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 tend to always stop. I don't know why, but we never almost never went beyond maybe twelfth level or whatever.
1: I'm not sure why. You know, and I've heard different people say different things about that. Uh, Partly because, you know, just a a campaign like that takes a long time and, you know, stuff happens, school, work, whatever. Um, Some people just don't like playing games like that. Sometimes those games kind of fall apart because things can get really ridiculous as far as the, um, like, the power level of the characters are basically starting to become superheroes. And, and
0: yeah, but in our
1: teen years, that
0: wasn't the problem. I'm wondering if it's just because, There wasn't a lot of modules supporting it. That may have been
1: more of the reason. It could have been. Very well could have been. Because there wasn't a lot of modules for it. Um, And there haven't been a lot of old school Renaissance modules. I can hardly think of any at all that run, you know, level 15 to say 20 for like an Osric game. Um, I can't. There might I'm sure there's got to be some out there, but there's not many of them, and they're not super common or popular. There's certainly nothing that nobody talks
2: about that I can think of. Yeah, because, I, I mean, really, um I
0: think even with, I'm trying to think, and and I shouldn't be, if I even recall with AD&D, I think there was still kind of, even the thought that your characters were kind of get to a certain level and there was still a sense of retirement of at
1: a certain point. I would say AD&D and certainly second edition had a lot more. I know second edition had a lot more uh, high level stuff than um, first edition did. Although there was the, the, the Beckme setup setup had, there was quite a few adventures in Beckme for, for higher level characters. But never as many as that sort of below 10th level range. Th- those were always the bulk
2: of, yeah. of
0: the adventure. I'm wondering if even the back me your characters are more squishy. Maybe not. I don't know.
2: Uh, a little bit, but not not a lot. Not not well, especially because that
1: game, I mean, because he had this wacky system that went all the way up to 36th level in, in there. Um And then your characters could become immortals. And I I have the book and I've read it through it. And I'm like, yeah, this is way more work than I would want to put it. It's all this crazy math and like these weird powers and and all these sort of it's so abstract and conceptual in a lot of ways that it would be very hard to run it. So I don't know that a lot of people ever did.
0: You know, it.
1: Yeah, you, know, you
0: saying that, you saying that makes me think this is a bad idea, but it would be interesting that if the game that you play at earlier level, like this if the system changed. Yeah. Like first level, it's like it's like very detailed, but then at the very end, the high, very high it is very abstract. Like the rules are all abstract. You're not no longer dealing right. with strength or whatever. You may be dealing with something else and the rules are less granular and structured and maybe it is more free form but maybe in the very beginning it's just like you know you're, you're 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 rolling for hit locations and lobbing off fingers and right you know scratching to for survival and
1: uh yeah and that it, would be that would be interesting especially when you're talking about like god like characters yeah where those characters and this is a one of the pieces of of the high level gaming that's difficult for a lot of people to sort of wrap their head around and, and it's maybe one of the reasons why it doesn't work is like why people sort of drift away from it is because the game does the, the experience of the game does definitely change when you get up to a higher level character because that character can then you know a fighter with you know plus three uh plate mail because you know how many adventures has a 15th level fighter been through dozens yeah you know 100 sessions maybe so they're gonna have a plus five sword plus three plate armor a couple rings you know probably a a bandolier of weird arrows that they picked up because they're like you know you go on a third level adventure and maybe you pick up two magic arrows or a sword well you do 150 of those right <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna pick up some heavy duty stuff eventually
0: yeah well that you get the arrow of, of white dragon slaying or whatever and you're, right. never, you're gonna well, eventually i'll get this white dragon
1: <laughs> right yeah so so you've so you've got this collection of stuff by the time you're a 15th level character you've got this collection of abilities um and that character can effectively kill just about anything you throw at it unless you throw weird stuff in combination with other weird stuff and then you also have to go well these guys are effectively
2: um you know, superheroes. So everybody knows who they are. I mean, you can't walk down the
1: street, you know, shining with magic goodies and not expect every peasant in the neighborhood to know who you are. I mean, it's that's going to happen. So those, the, the kinds of adventures you can create for those characters have to change. You know, you're no longer rescuing the village you're rescuing the kingdom or the planet or you know a uh doing something in the astral plane you know fighting against a hundred gifts or something like that you know those those adventures are very different and a lot of times those adventures will also have a. to for me to find them satisfying they also have to have a lot of social interaction play because oh i can just obliterate every i can oh my magic user he can just he can fly invisible over this castle cast stone to mud and slough off the side of that tower and then launch a fireball into the into the uh, a, a 20th a 20 hit die fireball into that throne room and yeah. nuke everybody in there <laughs> yeah. so what do you mean you're not going to give us preferred trade status emperor you know <laughs> um so you know you you have to sort of like think ahead you know a hundred sessions if you're going to run a campaign where you think maybe i'm going to do high level characters so that oh i need to have these kinds of monsters and these kinds of characters running around my campaign setting before my players ever get there so that it makes sense right. about how how things are going out in the rest of the campaign setting and if you are trying to on the back end of that if you haven't assumed any of that stuff before you started your campaign and then suddenly you're like okay i've got these characters that can boss around this you know king who's 10th level and make him do anything they want to because they can just squish him like a bug that's that's a problem with the continuity of your of your campaign and that's where i think a lot of these campaigns just fall apart because game masters didn't think about the possibility that they could have high-level campaign before they even started
0: well right and i think the thing too is unless you have some other way of introducing them in you know uh in general those high-level threats have to be fairly common and as well too it's like right it, it kind of scattered out so you need to have already those threats that are threats to 20th level characters and 15th level characters and 14 i mean it's like and I, you know, I you kind of see that with a little bit with Lord of the Rings with the Nazgul, but they definitely were never at that high level. But right. you know, you know, there were already some threats put in there, but but that was only for characters to get to that
1: level. And even then they didn't necessarily fight them directly. Right. 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 I mean, because an awful lot of what you know Gandalf does to counteract um Sauron isn't fighting the nazgul it's like i gotta go talk to these clowns in rohan and get them to like bring their army to gondor um or or i gotta go talk to the dwarves and get them to go kill that dragon that's been sitting on their hoard of gold for 100 years um and convince them that maybe they should be friends with the with the elves and the humans you know a lot of what gandalf does is is talk Barely yes. ever uses this magic, <laughs> which is what makes it difficult for a d to use him as a d anD D model. Oh, it is, especially when he's sitting in a tree,
0: afraid of some wolves. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, and I think, but but you're right. It's like you know, if you were wanting to do, you know, if you were to assume, let's say, Lord of the Rings was kind of set for maybe Aragorn was maybe like an eighth level ranger you could see how that kind of all scales, but you could see that world itself wouldn't scale if they were all 14th level characters or 15th level characters that there would need to be even more threats already in play beyond what they have there. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then, and that makes, I think, high level old school games a little difficult to run. And I don't think they're going to work for a lot of people (laughs) for, for a variety of reasons. Um, just because they're difficult, because you really got to think ahead to make them work, to make a campaign
0: work. Right. And that makes sense. I mean, I think the other thing, I've never really done this, but I mean, I guess there's always the extra planar stuff you could yeah. do.
1: Yeah, I did I did a fair amount of that in my in the in the campaign that I ran, where actually the planet that they were on was threatened by area at one point. Um, and some other sort of Cthulhu-esque kind of creatures
2: um, you know where the 100 Gith would show up to try to take slaves or take
1: uh, advantage of some sort of magical fountain thing that was there and they're like oh we need to steal that power out of there so these guys were like 12th, 15th level something like that and were doing Doing a lot of stuff like that. There was another. There was like an empire that was doing a big invasion, and the uh, emperor of the empire was a was a demigod. Um, you know, kind of like imagine if you know you have all these old um, stories, legends, like uh, you know the Greek stuff where oh so and so the king of so and so his father was Zeus okay, well, what if you made a D&D NPC who is the emperor of this big, powerful, uh, half the continent kind of empire is actually a demigod with all these magical powers. And what would that look like? So then the players, I think that was the last, that was the last battle that they had in
2: that game was fighting against that emperor to defeat the, prevent him from, invading their side of the continent
0: oh that's interesting well and i think that's what it, it and, and that's where a lot of this probably makes more sense is you know as you get higher in level i mean the intent really when i say the intent but i think the the thought is that the threats would be more uh large scale and it would be more intrigue uh, yes but that's not always easy to pull off and People are always wanting to do that <laughs>
1: yeah that's and that's definitely a taste issue too because like you know a lot of players look at domain play and they're like oh, i don't really want to like deal with writing out the order of battle for my army and figuring out what the monthly tax take was and how many peasants i have living in this particular domain and all that sort of stuff um can get this interest and then also like i got to negotiate a treaty with these other with the giants you know
0: right have you seen adventure conquer king
1: yeah i've
0: i have some of that stuff <laughs> it's like i look at you it's like this is all genius but
1: <laughs>
2: it's,
1: like... it's really good i've actually used some of the stuff out of the back of that for um for, for campaign setting creation and some of like the, the economic stuff and some of those rules, they're, 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 they're actually pretty tight rule set. Oh, as far as, I mean,
0: as far as being mathematically, I think sound and playable, but it's definitely, definitely adds a level of complexity. That's. So I, I did a crazy, I did a, I did a crazy thing. I, I got on the internet and um i'd I'd run adventure conquer king and um i I actually used the land uh, of iris um the um there's a um it's a world it's small planet it's you know around sun it's kind of like the mashup of it's that planet that's like the furthest in the our solar system and it's also got it's like a bar zoom. It's like all the different cultures of man kind of thrown in at different time periods. And, and so I did this whole thing, but I, I realized pretty quickly that um it, it got out of hand. To, and uh, <laughs> at my level of like, I like the idea of trade and trade routes and doing this and doing that. And, and so one of the players started GMing and then, then he just became the GM and I just, I walked away and they're having a grand old time, a grand old time. <laughs> Uh doing all sorts of calculations
1: and this and that and this and that. So, I'm, yeah, I'm for- I think if you automate some of that <laughs> with like a with like a spreadsheet, if you're good, if you're a spreadsheet guy, that you could do some of that stuff and sort of just like click a couple buttons and boom, there it is. And okay, there's three months of domain play and then five minutes talk about it and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, I just realized that as GM,
0: it's just it's just not something I could could build up. But there are definitely are. Uh, even for you know with the adventure car king it's it's built on that bX chassis mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of there's a lot of tools out there even now with um devin Crawford's
1: um worlds without number, yeah, you know, I haven't looked at that, and I keep hearing that game come up and i every time I hear something like okay, I see hear the same game come up over and over again, it makes me think it's time to pick that one up. So have you seen stars without number or other or
0: any of these his other games? I have not so what he does what kevin Crawford is um very smart at doing is creating uh random tables that are very logical and can create very interesting situations uh pretty organically i mean it's, it's really he's like a, in a good way, an engineer that's kind of looked at role-playing games and has been able to kind of create the tools to go create your own games settings. I should say that's
1: great. So it's like a set of procedural tables, nested tables.
0: Yeah. And he uses tags and world tags. So he did it with travel with stars without number, but then he took, he took like the traveler 2d6 skill system and bolted onto like a BX uh, chassis Oh, wow. so, so you have skill system. It's, it's a pretty decent skill system, and then you are also still maintaining the the levels, but the hit points remain pretty low. So it's it's still very much BX in that sort of vein. Um, hmm. But he's it's 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 very good. Um, and but the random tables are especially if you want to do any any sort of. I, I think it does if you're wanting to run like travel rest game rolls without or stars without number is a much better system for generating stuff than the traveler.
1: Okay. Hmm.
0: That makes it worth, I think, looking up. <laughs> yeah. What I would do is if you find these PDFs on sale, they're worth picking up, you know, whenever there's a sale. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's just uh but the do- domains. Yeah. I very few people touch that and that's, that's hard. I don't know if there's even
1: really much guidance. No. Well, and I think it also sort of takes the game back towards making it more of a war game, you know, it t- kind of takes it back towards it, does. Ch- it takes it back towards chain mail and it takes it back towards the, the big, uh, you know, games that, you know, Arneson and, and, and Gygax were playing before D and D where, you know, this guy's the king of Spain and that guy's the king of England and that guy is the king of France. And here, and you have whatever system they're using points or crowns or coins or whatever to, to figure out what their forces were. And they were writing out, you know, orders through the mail and sending each other letters for like a month (laughs) for each turn in the game. And I think it kind of, it does kind of take the game, the the fantasy game, back toward that sort of gaming, um, which a lot of people aren't really into. They want more of the the sort of more immediate, focused kind of game, where they're like, oh, let's knock down this door and kill all the goblins inside.
0: Yeah, and I think the other option would be is you know would also it, it's like with Star Trek, um, like the original series, it it does not make sense for the captain of a starship to be beaming down on all these dangerous missions does not <laughs> they have guys for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had red for that. So it, it would probably be the similar type of thing where, you know, it, what would make sense is that high level play is that you would have your people take care of stuff and it would be other, and maybe those would be PCs, but right. you know, those would be the people that you'd be sending on. So in a way, I guess even domain, what does make sense is really probably for your characters really not to ever be involved directly. They're, right. they're just Yeah, you're right. It's just well, changing.
1: and then you can do you can I mean there's a lot of interesting things you can do where you can do uh where players at a certain point you go, Okay, your guys really busy like you know adjudicating the the uh dispute between these two hog farmers about where the line property line is at and then you've got you know these three people that are these three lords that want to try to marry their daughters to you and and, you know you've got a full schedule you don't have time to go adventuring but you've got this problem on the other side of your kingdom that needs to be dealt with so you're gonna so you the player are gonna play this adventurer that your other character has sent off to do that mission well you're
0: you're setting up scenarios i think sound fun and interesting
1: (laughs) right (laughs) right so you could go you could playing your original character that's now the lord of their domain you you get to do a thing where okay we're going to spend 15 minutes talking about that and just sort of giving a high level third person well these are my intentions, I'm going to try to make it do this, and maybe the DM rolls a couple handfuls of dice and writes down how that turns out and then tells you the next session what happens. But then we spend the other three hours going on the adventure that the king has sent these other group of guys on. And so that the players end up having two and three, maybe four different characters that they're playing in a bigger, broader campaign setting. Um, Would be one way you could do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what would be interesting too is like if you set up an adventure in such a way that um, that may be kind of interesting is that individually, these small adventures, whatever the outcome for each of those individually affects the overall outcome, even if they're done independently. I wonder how you could do that.
1: Yeah. You could do that. I mean, you would just have to, the thing is, you have to take good notes. You would have to... You'd have to to
0: create a system on top of it, too. So you'd have to... And that Mm -hmm. may be more difficult.
1: Mm -hmm. Although maybe not as difficult. I think people complicate stuff. (laughs) I think they really complicate stuff way more than they have to. Um, You know, I found that... uh, D&D plays much... It's just you can do a lot more interesting thing the simpler that you make it because you know it it it, it really it makes me put to me in mind of a of a article i was going to think about pitching for you for your next zine for okay. that gary's appendix because it's interesting to me that gary put dice probability as the very first section in the dungeon masters Guide. why did he do that why did he decide that that was the first thing that you needed to learn as a dungeon master? Well, because what it tells me anyways, what I, the intuition I have about that is because he's given you, this is what these are basic dice probabilities. He's giving you a lesson on dice. Prob- he's giving you a lesson on how to design a role-playing game. The, the, the mechanical piece of a role-playing game is what he's given there so that you can go well they're taking a 500 pound anvil 200 feet up in the air on this magic carpet and kicking it off and maybe there's like a one in 300 chance that the guys that that thing's going to actually hit the guy that they're trying to smash with it how do i adjudicate that right right (laughs) you know because so that's the reason he put that stuff in there and he made it fairly simple So I think a lot of DMs have this tendency or designers have this tendency to want to create these very complicated dice systems and procedural systems when really it's just a set of like logic questions. Well, if this and this and this is true, then we can say that's completely impossible or... Highly probable, and we don't even need to bother rolling a dice. Or it's a one in a thousand chance, and I'm going to roll three d10 and figure out. And if it's zero zero one, then it happens.
0: Yeah, and I think it's kind of because you bring it because a lot of stuff is pretty random. I think where it's placed in the DM guy, but I think you're right. Putting probabilities at the beginning was probably more purposeful than anything else. I think so. And I think the thing is, and you're if you don't need to explain dice probability if nobody's doing any shit anything on their own, right
1: yeah have you ever seen that in any other role playing book? <laughs> I can't think of one. I can't think of any other role playing book that has ever had. That has ever said you know what we need five pages of dice probability yeah because it's them to say
0: because i think you know one thing i could think of is somebody could say well we roll 2d6 and someone come along and well, we just roll a d12 and then they're like well no
1: that's different yes yeah <laughs> that 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 gives you a different result well and what it also does is it explains so it gives it also when you when you read why did he do a d10 and a d4 on this weird thing that i found later on and then you can go back to the dice probability chart and go ah i see why he did that but he does but he didn't explain it to you at the point later in the book where you've got this weird like dice range because sometimes you get an ad and d there's these weird dice ranges every now and again where it'll be like you have to sort of think in your head well what Dice could that possibly be because he doesn't tell you he's like three to 24. Yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Okay, he doesn't say 3d6. He says he gives you a range of points three to 24, and you have to go, oh, okay, or I'm sorry, uh 18, yeah. or you know, you're like, oh, wait, right, Get, right, it's
0: multiple dice and adding a number, or is it just multiple dice? And uh, right, yeah, exactly.
1: So he does weird, he did weird stuff like that in there sometimes. So having that at the beginning of the book helps a little bit with that sort of thing.
0: I I think, you know, again, I, to me that, that whole thing will never, what it is will never be duplicated. I mean, it's, 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 it's just, it is just a marvelous artifact that is just both
1: absurd and genius. It's just kind of like, it's so contradictory. Yeah. I was reading in the, the introduction of it today, working on a blog post, cause I have like, I always have like a bunch, a couple dozen drafts in my draft folder and I'll like poke at something and go, yeah, that's not ready yet. I'm gonna write it, work on this other thing. Uh, I was looking at that introduction. So in the same like three paragraphs, he basically says something like, well, I expect there to be variance in, in diversity in, Campaigns and there's going to be differences, but you can't go too far with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there has to be all these, but you still need to be yeah. the same. You could be different, but you still need to be the same. And it's like, which one is it, Gary? <laughs> what? And he doesn't even like tell you what you can be different about. Like, okay, w- what can be different? uh You know. So so it's there's so much contradicting and, and weirdness in that. I'm curious why you decided to make the your your zine about that particular
2: subject well so, oh, as far as kid i think it it started with i think the idea is
0: his appendes what other book really has an appendices like like that <laughs> it's like like. I don't know what he was thinking like i I, but you look at it it's like like appendix n well i know what appendix n is i mean there are certain appendices that are just like they're they're like they're just strange strange artifacts and you and you and i think that's my the the intent i was trying to to get and i don't know if it 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 pulls through because i is that DM's Guide is just a strange, wondrous book. And you can sit and flip through it at any time and find interesting articles about just odd stuff. Like, and or why why he picks like sages, why does he like spend three pages on the hiring of sages and sages like I I don't understand, but I don't really need to understand it.
1: You know what I mean? Right, right. It's like, I don't know why he did this, but it's cool. (laughs) Yes.
0: And I think for, uh, you know, so did you, when you,
1: so for Advanced D&D, did did you play that in your youth? I played it for a little while. Uh, I started playing in 87 and I think 90 was when second edition came out. So I played a little bit off and on, and I was like a lot of people in that era, we played this sort of weird mixed blend of things. We're like, I've got the basic book. I've got the AD&D monster manual. I've got, you know, <laughs> yes. and, and we all sort of like mashed our stuff together and came up with this weird Frankenstein monster of D&D. Um, I didn't really play like a, a, a coherent single system of D&D until 90 or 91, something like that, where we were playing second edition, solidly playing second edition D&D. And that's what I played for six, seven years, eight years straight after that, with mixed in other stuff, Um, played a lot of other games.
0: For me, it's like, there's a lot of boredom, not a lot going on, small town, middle nowhere,
1: cornfields, you know. That's right, I had (laughs) cornfields. (laughs) <laughs> Road cornfield <laughs> is where I grew up. Yeah. So for me, it's like I
0: I laid on my bedroom floor rolling up dungeons randomly and rolling up monsters and fighting them. Yep. I drew castles, calculated the costs, all the palisades, the walls. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and especially it's not like I didn't have cable TV in my house because there was no cable yeah. that came to my house. It was the PBS, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then there was like a local channel that ended up eventually becoming being absorbed by Fox, the Fox Network. Um, Yeah. But before that, it was like Friday night monster movies, Saturday afternoon kung fu theater, kung fu theater for us on Sundays, yes. And then and then (laughs) Sunday was all Western, John Wayne all day like there'd be like four john wayne movies back to back on sunday it would be after lunch so i mean that was that you know so tv wasn't really the closest town to me was five miles away you know so a lot of my stuff was reading books and looking at D books when i could get my hands on
0: yeah so for me that there is a certain amount of magic but i've also not on the other hand i don't hold it as you know the texas receptus of you know i don't i don't hold i think even the gary's appendix is kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of also not being too serious
1: right yeah because i think we have to I, I think we need to give the guy some respect right i think he earned a lot of respect but at the same time he wasn't the infallible you know voice from above you know, imparting his great knowledge upon yeah. all of us. I mean, there, there there are some things in Gary's work that I find contradictory, not particularly appealing. And some of it's just my taste and preference. Some of it's like, no, I just think that doesn't work very well, period. And then parts of it are like, eh, I just it's just me, you know. I also don't like opera. You know right uh, right you
0: know. Not that it was bad it's just not for
1: me yeah for me so so i think there's a mix of those things but then there seems to be like gary has some hagiographers out there who <laughs> who are like and we shall not take the lord's name in vain yeah. kind of approach to it and like everything gary said and wrote in the day d was brilliant and genius no some of it was crap too um but that doesn't mean that we that to say that some of what gary wrote was crap or not very well thought out isn't saying that gary didn't do some really important stuff and it's not saying that gary's work isn't really valuable and worth reading today right or learning from. i mean it's not it's just saying about gary what i would say about myself or anybody else it's like Yeah, some of the stuff I put out is pretty good. Some of it's probably not so great. Um, Yeah, and I
0: even think as a person, I never knew the man. Um, And I'm sure he was very, you know, a a decent person. But I also get the feeling that I probably would not have gotten along with him well or want to play games. It's a staple.
1: yeah, I've gotten a little bit of that where he's, you know, he, he seems like he was sort of a cantankerous kind of guy who had, who was very opinion, held his beliefs very strongly. Yeah. And you were probably not going to budge him off of that or or get a compromise. Yeah. But that may be wrong. I don't know. I, right. I, I,
0: I can't say, but I can't. I'm just saying it's just, so as a person, I mean, he's probably a decent person all, but I'm just saying is, I don't, I don't hold him to, to that, like, you know, yeah. if if I could have played a game of his, would I? Yes. You know, sure. But, but more just to say, yeah, I've done it than to say, right. You know, <laughs> take out. So and I guess the whole thing is, yeah, I'm in agreement. We we, we are very lucky that he he took the rambling nonsense of Dave Arneson and codified yeah. it <laughs> into a set of rules. And that because of that, we yeah. we have what we have.
1: I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for Dave Arnes and probably more than a lot of other people do. Um, because the 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 basic concept that he discovered when you compare it to all the games that came before it is really kind of brilliant. Yeah. The,
0: the concept
1: I, was really brilliant. Yes.
0: His execution of it was terrible. Right, right, exactly. So they needed each other.
2: <laughs> they did. I mean, for They're this to be dead. there,
0: it had to be them both because because Gary did not have he was still stuck in war game mode. Yes. And he saw what Dave Arneson was doing. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Right. But, but Dave Arneson needed to be his whatever he was doing needed to be tethered. It wasn't tethered.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, he needed some constraint. And 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 there was and there was no constraint well there was nothing it was a cool idea and you could if, and if and if there was, you know and if you just if you just threw that out as a blog a mimeo or not as a blog as a mimeographed uh newsletter in 1974 some of the one of these other gamers would have picked it up you know the crowd out in california um that were some of the early adopters of dnd from the sca and that crowd. Uh, the fantasy, the the alarms and excursions crowd out there would have picked it up and said, oh, I get what he's trying to do there and then created something crazy out of it. That would have been the first role-playing game. Right. Um, But instead he went to Gary with it and Gary's like, we've got to put tables and constraints and and very clear procedures and rules and, and processes around this thing in order to in order to, in order to get a an output from it. Right because um, you can't for, put Dave Arneson in a in a
0: in a hundred thousand boxes to dim. Right.
1: right. And that's and that's kind of what that was. Is it's is it's you know and, and a weird a weird thing about that early D game is uh and I wrote a longer blog post about this a while ago is there's this great quote from one of the guys from Minneapolis. I played Greyhawk with Gary, Blackmore with Dave, Tecamel with Phil, but I never played D and D with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is a brilliant. Which to me is like, that's what Dungeons and Dragons really is. It's this, con- it's a concept, not a game. It's, it's, or it's a game built around this concept of, I walk to, a, I come to the table with all this stuff in my head and I'm playing a game that lets me change the rules while I'm playing the game. Which is totally different from any other kind of game there is. Because you go to chess, we both agreed to play by those rules before we set down. Right. <laughs> we were not gonna go, hey, what if we had a a, 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 a a chancellor? What if we add the chancellor to the board, right? Or what if I had a catapult? You know, we <laughs> you know, could I have a catapult? But if you're playing D and D, you can go, well, what if we had a catapult? And the game master says, Well, yeah, you could probably go find (laughs) a a siege engineer if you went to this town and talked to the guy and paid him the money. Yeah, you could probably do that, right? You in the middle of the game, what's just happened when you do that? We have changed the rules of the game, right? We've introduced something in the game that did not exist before that was sitting in our head a few minutes ago, and now it's in the game. There is no other type of game that allows you to do that tabletop role-playing game. because they all have this closed system and it's not a permeable system where stuff can come in from the outside. And that that right. concept right there that Dave Arneson and Dave Wesley discovered through wargaming is what nobody else had really done.
0: Well I think the other thing too it's it's not a game about winning. Right like it's
1: yeah there's a there's a book called infinite finite and infinite games it's a philosophy book by a theologian and i can't remember the name of him but he talks about there's two types of games there's the finite game which has fixed rules there's a winner and a loser there's a timeline there's a point where the game starts you can point the game ends you know who's all, everybody who's playing point of finite game is to win it the point of an infinite game is to bring as many people into the game and play as long as you possibly can that's a, so it could be like say tennis right it's a finite game but it could also be an
0: infinite game i mean is, is he thinking along those lines where you're like no. a, you think about i love tennis i love playing tennis i want to bring as many people into tennis so I have more people to play. So tennis that with. would be
1: the bro- so that would be the broader tennis world kind of thinking. Yeah. So that would yes would be an infinite game, but the game tennis right. game itself is we a go finite play a ten- game right. We go play. So a you tennis can play game. finite games within an infinite game, but you can't play an infinite game within a finite game because that wouldn't it doesn't hold it. So another infinite game is the game of catch, right? What's the point of playing catch? Oh it's to I play. the point of the game is to play. And if I throw if the the point of playing catch with my kid isn't to win the game of catch. Right. And and the point he was making in the book is like marriages, that's an infinite game. Because the point of the game is to play it. So or really what he's saying, like civilization like, is an infinite game.
0: Yeah, but like, but like going back to the catch, the other thing too is you know it can go on forever but you do stop but you can always pick it up at any time and it right yes. and it's the same it's the same game even yes. with different people it's like the game just keeps going right and then maybe when you die your son plays you know catch with somebody else right? yeah.
1: <laughs> yes with, with their kid or maybe the neighbor kid comes over and they come in and they play we play three-way catch yes and then one of us goes inside and the other two people play but the game is still going without
2: us. And you know, you think about Blackmore, those guys still get together and play from time to time. Game
1: survived save. Well, but but then those guys do, but then
0: there's still people now that are also participating right. in Blackmore, as there are people right. participating in Greyhawk.
1: Right. Right. So it's this this thing that's you know changes and morphs and and is has a dynamic character to it that a game like playing a game like chess doesn't have because it's like this is it right here and so that concept that they've had that oh here's this thing that we can change as we're playing it was no other game nobody ever created a game like that before all other games that came before really uh brownstein were these closed system games where we have a set of rules we play by those rules when we've achieved the victory uh state that's the game ends um brownstein changed that where like oh well what if i um decide i want to have a duel with the kernel well you roll a d6 and he rolls a d6 oh you're dead you know, we've just made up rules as we're going along. So that's, right. that, that concept of being able to create stuff on the fly, it was, I think, and it's so, it seems so simple and obvious to us who've been playing for 40 years. Like, of course you could do that. Why wouldn't right. you do that? But in 1970, when that game hadn't previously existed, that was kind of a weird idea.
2: Yeah, and I think
0: I don't. I and I don't. If I recall correctly, the I think the wargaming community in general kind of was poo-pooing this. If I recall, they
1: correctly. were. There were a lot of people. There were some people that got it, but there was a lot of people that looked at it and said, "This is what is this?" <laughs> and then and then were mad when it started taking over their wargame club meetings like everybody just wants to play this stupid fantasy game damn kids you know um you know they they wanted to they didn't want to they're like we don't understand why this is so popular um so that was that was yeah i mean there's always but i think that that that's the piece that i think a lot of people don't really appreciate about what dave did is the fact that nobody else had ever
2: done it before
0: yeah, and I kind of wonder, too, what um, it, you know, because I'm I'm sure there were, there were, you know, people, I mean, he had a community of people that he ran games for, they got it and loved it, but you just kind of wonder, like, you know, how many people he did come in contact with that just poo-pooed it, and what it was with Gary, like, what was that moment where all of a sudden he was just like, you know, I, yeah. I need to, I need to bottle this.
1: Well, Gary... According to Rob Kunst, because I recently read a Rob Kunst, um, who's an interesting character. If, if you're not familiar with him, uh, I just recently read his account of that. You can get it through three Little Books Games. Paul Stormberg runs it. Um, it's a, a little monograph. It's like 20 pages, maybe, where he recounts the time Dave brought the game down. And they played late into the night and Dave Arneson and Dave Wesley were slept in Gary's uh, study. And after they left, he called Terry and uh, Rob and said, you need to come over and we need to talk about this because I think this, they have something. Um, So he, I think Gary like got the value of it, like right away, saw what it was, I don't think he realized that it was worth tens of millions of dollars (laughs) (laughs) or, 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 or that, or, or it would be in what I think is be the most important pop culture event of the 20th century, um, which I think it is. I think D and D was the most important pop culture creation of the 20th century, which is probably a lot of people like that's crazy, but I think it is because you can't go into any room of creative people in Hollywood and video games and music and not find somebody in that room that didn't play, didn't play D and D in their life.
0: I agree. And I think, but I think on the, on the other way of looking at it is I think it is probably as far as the social aspect, tied people together in a way that was it's been lacking for a long, long time.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: So we, we, no, we no longer sit on our front porches, in the summertime people walk by and we sit and discuss with other families we are very disconnected and i think this is probably one of the very few hobbies that actually brings people together socially to interact with each other in a meaningful way
1: and exactly. that and that's the the that's the main purpose of my blog is to try to like create help people do that better <laughs> yes
0: yeah, and it's it's and I think what I find amazing though though uh, the the kids have kind of grown up and and gone their own way a little bit, but uh for a long time as you know I ran games for these uh, I call them kids but they they're teenagers and went to their twenties, but it's just kind of interesting you could have you know a guy in his forties a guy in his fifties you know some some crazy kids doing their own thing and but we all can get together yeah. You know, and have a great time. Maybe we don't know each other's, you know, we don't maybe go deep into like, you know, people's lives. Maybe we're not like super deep friends, but you know, different people can get together and and share some time together in a very yep. positive
2: way. It's just yep. like
1: Well, I think that's really what it's it's all about is that that is people getting together and um having this positive social interaction. This that that, i mean people meet their wives their best friends their you know i probably some of the worst most darkest moments in my life were made tolerable by having friends that i played (laughs) games with yes um you know i've been like borderline suicidal at times and the fact that i had a group of people to play games with was the the thing that kept me from wanting to jump out a window, um, and and you know when you have something that powerful, I think it's worth preserving and trying to make it better and to share it with other people.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I'm just very. It's you know looking back, it's you know it's it's just um, it's probably been you know consistent one of the more more consistently positive things in my life um and so it's just um yeah and it's the the, the people you meet the the situations that involve the, the actually doing something more than just sitting and watching tv or whatever it may be right <laughs> too.
1: yeah i mean it's very it's active it's not passive
0: yeah it's it's creative well well travis i think we're hitting the the time space continuum i think we're at uh for
1: sure. Well, I hope I hope we got something out of all this rambling that you can use for your podcast.
0: Well, it's it's all going in. It's not for me to determine whether it's <laughs> worthwhile. It's for the listener or the watcher in case on YouTube determine if it's valuable or not. <laughs> uh so anyway, also they need to go to your blog Grumpy Wizard. You're also on Twitter, so that's an easy way to find you. Yeah,
1: I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But if you go to my blog, all the links to all that social media stuff is uh, on there. And then you need to go
0: to the blog to sign up for the newsletter. Yes. And that
1: should be a pop-up on there. It is. Uh, so it should pop up on your, on your screen and and and... And the newsletter is different than the blog email. Uh, There is in the sidebar, there's another subscription that's just for the blog. So if you like to get uh, uh, notifications that the blog has been updated, that's in the sidebar. But if you want to get my once a month newsletter, that's the pop-up that slides out from the side or from the bottom if you're looking at it from your cell phone. Yes, well worth well worth reading, well worth following.
0: Um and uh, you know I've I've well you wouldn't know but I've t- Twitter's people you know think of t- uh, Twitter as being accessible. But boy, if you just take the time and call the people you don't want, just keep adding people you like, keep pulling the people you don't like, turn off the people that keep posting stuff you don't want to see, eventually.
1: You get a pretty amazing feed. <laughs> you, you really do. The mute function, I don't think people use the mute function. I could not use Twitter without the mute function. What's the you mute go, function? So, if you go into the settings, there is something called safety. Okay. In there. Um, and you click on the safety, and it will say uh, mute and block. So, you can go into the mute and Tell it uh mute this word or this person um, so and actually there's on the hamburger on the if you go into somebody's uh, uh bio thing yeah their head their header there's the little three little dots you click yeah. on that and and one of the things you can choose is mute this person so if you don't want to block somebody but you don't want to see them popping up in your feed because somebody, because one of the people you follow um, has responded or liked one of their tweets, you can mute them. So they won't show up. Well, then, the, it,
0: well, here's the thing is because you, what you're saying, you can mute a word. So if yes. if, I, so
1: if I were to mute Trump, yes, I would never see another. Trump. <laughs> you would see far fewer. You would see the word Trump. A lot less in your news. Well, you might see it every now and again. Yeah, but I've got oh geez, my mute list of muted words is like it's probably got to be a hundred. But I mean, just because I'm like oh, I'm so tired of this conversation, I'll go in there and I'll mute the word. I'll mute the hashtag. albear <laughs> Yeah, albear Whatever. Um, certain certain accounts. Yeah. I've got a bunch mm-hmm. of accounts muted because they just pop in. You're like oh, I just really don't need this. Um, and so- and. To be nice if you could, could, they're like people I like.
0: I just don't like what they like. So if I could just keep the person but mute their likes, there's been people are like,
1: yeah, stop this. This is just right. (laughs) Well, and there is another thing where you can click, and I forget exactly what it is that you can click and tell it, I don't want to see this, and it will reduce the amount of impressions that you get from that person's um feed. It it, it does also sort of like reduce the amount of regular tweets they put out that you end up seeing in your feed. So there's a little bit of a downside there, but you get far fewer like, yeah, I like this horrible thing that this person said. And you're like, oh, no,
0: I don't want to know about that. Um, I'll I'll have to give that a try. So that's for for everybody out there. If you've been avoiding Twitter, it's actually a wonderful place once you you get it properly uh, groomed and and apparently
1: muted (laughs) yeah mute i could not use twitter without it would just bum me out like i would just be like oh this is awful uh i i had tried using it years ago when it first came out and it was just terrible and i couldn't take it um mute makes it because then everything on my on my grumpy wizard twitter feed is all game stuff and anything that's like i like and unfortunately, there's people with gaming accounts who also do like politics and culture stuff that I don't care about. Right. I don't want to hear from them about. Um I'll either mute that word, whatever it happens to be, and I'll still get their gaming stuff, but I won't get their Trump Pelosi, whatever, right? Other things <laughs> yes. that that I I really don't, you know. It's not that you agree or disagree.
0: It's just you just don't want to see it.
1: Yeah, I just like, you know. It's, well, in order to use this tool for what I want to use it for. Exactly. I have to I have to sort of tweak. I have to tune it. Um, otherwise, I just can't use it. Um, well, well, thank you for the tip.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, that makes it a lot
1: easier to, to deal with. And you also have to remember that Twitter is seven percent of the internet and ten percent of the people on twitter put out 90 percent of the tweets so you've got a fraction of a fraction that's actually putting stuff out there and most of us who are on twitter have a reason to be on twitter and that reason is to get attention for something mm, um it's not yeah. just a community it's not just a talk it's i am admittedly on twitter to get Traffic to my website and to meet people and to uh develop relationships with right interesting people in gaming and that's a big piece of it. But there is also, admittedly, a bit of a selfish desire to get people back to my website to read my blog. Right. Um. And and I think I'm
0: doing a little bit better, but I haven't posted for a while. Is is I and I do enjoy Twitter, but I don't think I've ever fully understood what I'm supposed to do on Twitter. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it's, I've done enough little research uh, listening to some marketers that work in Twitter, that that their job is to be good at Twitter um, to figure out, and I'm slowly figuring out how to use it in a way that, that is effective. Um, And a lot of it is, is Twitter doesn't want you to send people to other places. Right, it's anything Facebook as well. so. Right. And all the social media is the same way. They want you to, they're, what they're looking at is trying to keep you on the site. Um, so, doing uh, a, a quick one is um, doing threads of tweets, five, six, 10 tweets in a thread. Those get more impressions. Twitter shows those to more people.
2: Hmm. Especially if they don't have links off of Twitter. Right, <laughs> and, and if they have images,
1: that will also give you more. Also, the algorithm gives you more impressions as well.
0: Well, I think generally people do read, even Facebook. Uh, a picture and not having a picture, it's just it's. I'm. We're just unfortunately we are, <laughs> we're that way.
1: Yeah, we're visual I, critters for sure.
0: I, I made the mistake. So they started Facebook. They started offering the was it uh, called feeds? Oh yeah, like, like the. T- it's it, nothing bad, but like it catches my attention. I may watch a little bit to move on, but like I've just created an algorithm where I'm like, like news items about the stranger, <laughs> thanks, kids. Or is it like it's like in like stuff from like Jimmy Fallon, like for <laughs> whatever reason, by me, by they offered it. I saw it. Now I'm locked into a path. Like I wish, I don't know how to get off this road. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah yeah they like they, they they're they very clever they are so anyway
0: well we'll have you on next time for a more uh social media tips travis
1: okay i i i've unfortunately spent a lot of time thinking about that stuff so it is what it is it is what it is all right well thanks again travis you're very welcome thank you